Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. Well, you guys have heard the old adage that patience is a virtue, right? And what season is more difficult to live that out than the Christmas season? I see that firsthand in my kids. I saw it on December 1st. One of the traditions that we have is to get them each an Advent book calendar. So I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And on December 1st, when we showed them the calendar and they opened it up, it had all these books and all these numbers packaged beautifully. And it was time for them to open the first one, right? December 1st. So they get it, they open it up. And of course, it's like a 10-page tract, right? It's nothing to brag about. It's nothing to write home about. Uh, but when my daughter opened it up, I could see she, she saw it, she flipped through it, looked at the pictures a little bit. And then her eyes kind of looked up and gravitated back to the calendar. And she was staring at number two, right? She was ready to open another book. And isn't that so, that, that's us, right? Impatience. Impatience not only permeates our culture, but it, it, it permeates our own hearts, the hearts of God's church. Now, as a kid, I don't know about you guys, but I was a radio DJ, right? So, so 11, 12 years old, driving with my parents. Man, I was the passenger seat DJ, and I would flip through the channels, right? Because when I was a kid, I wanna, I'm not old enough to say that, but when I was a kid, right, we didn't have Spotify or Apple Music. We had to listen to songs on the radio or buy CDs. Or if you were one of the bad kids, you'd download LimeWire and get stuff illegally. But that wasn't me, right? That wasn't, yeah, that wasn't me, right? I would never do that. Some people are like, what in the world is this guy talking about? But we'd have to flip through the radio station. So I had four or five channels, man, that were my go-to stations. And I'd flip and I'd flip. And when a hit came on, I was, I was loved the hits. When a hit came on, I'd listen. And right as it's over, flip to something else, right? And my parents, of course, loved this, right? They loved just nonstop flipping through the channels. But, but, but I was wondering, like, what in the world? Is there a way to bypass this? Right? I love the hits. I love listening to this type of music, all genres, the hits from all genres. Is there a way to bypass this and not have to wait? Right? No switching, no frustration, no waiting. And then I was watching cartoons a couple weeks later, and I saw a commercial. It's one of the most beautiful things an 11-year-old could see. Now that's what I call music. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Now that's what I call music CDs. All the hits in one spot. And it was now that's what I call music 11. I still remember looking at all the songs and being like, man, this is the one CD. I don't have to skip any song. Like all the hits in one place. But I noticed something. As I was on a road trip, put the CD in my little see-through Sony CD player, put my headphones on. The song I was listening to came on on the radio. I took my headphones off and I wanted to listen to it on the radio and not on my CD. And now looking back, I, I was wondering why, I was an interesting kid, but why would I do that, right? Why did I rather have it come from the radio than from my own CD? And I think that says something about me and about you and about us as a human race, 
I believe that at our core, we are designed to wait, to long, to anticipate, right? We were created to hope. And in the need to know, no time to wait culture that we live in, where we have access to everything at once, everything we could imagine, we as Christians especially are guilty of this, are we not? And not only that, but we give no space to the wonder of waiting, of sitting and waiting. And when this season leading up to the coming of Christ, this is exactly what God wants us to do. It's exactly what he's, what he's called us to do as his people, to wait, to wonder, to anticipate, right? All that he will do, all that he has done and all that he is doing in our lives and in his good world, right? It's not that he will renew the strength of those who hurry, obtain, and instantly gratify. No, it's those who wait. Those who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. And that's what Advent is all about. The season we're in, all about waiting, but we're in a unique spot, are we not? Christ has come, and yet Christ is coming. We're in this in-between. So what in the world do we do as the people of God living in this world, awaiting Christ to come and renew and restore all things? My hope today is that you guys would, would leave and have like one or two hooks you can kind of hang your hat on, right? One or two things that hopefully are a source of encouragement. And because God's word is central, I'm confident that he'll do that. But I want us to accomplish three things this morning, okay? I want us to answer three questions this morning. The first one is, what are we waiting for, right? What are we awaiting? And the second one is, who are we to be in the midst of waiting, and then finally, I want us to see that, uh, that we play a role, right? What are we to do as a result of all of this? What are we to do as a result? If you're an alliteration junkie like me, my students know that we, I give handouts every youth group and they kind of track and follow along. And I'm just like, everyone is alliteration after alliteration. It's so helpful, right? That's how I learned. So if you're an alliteration junkie, uh, you can think of it this way. Patience, what are we waiting for? Posture. Who are we to be as we wait? And then participation, what are we to do? Because we play a role, right? We're not unimportant cogs in this machine called life, but we are active participants in the divine plan of God. Do you believe that this morning? That you are an active participant in the divine plan of God. And then we'll finish, man, by, by celebrating communion together. What better way to celebrate who Christ is and what he's done than to eat and drink as we await the final day when we eat and drink with him in his kingdom. Okay, so Isaiah 65 is where we're gonna be today. That, a bulk of our time is gonna be in Isaiah 65. And we're gonna see patience. What are we awaiting? What are we awaiting in this season and in our lives as followers 
of Jesus. And there's no better picture of what we are waiting for than what we see in Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. But before we, before we jump into Isaiah 65, we need to know the context surrounding Isaiah 65. Uh, because, man, we're going to read this and we're going to be encouraged. We're going to read this and we're going to see the hope that we have as God's people. But for hope to hit as hard as hope can hit, we need to know the desperation that God's people feels in the midst of this, in the midst of the world they live in. So before we do that, I want us to look at Isaiah 63, just very quickly. Isaiah 63, verse 3. Isaiah 63, verse 3. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of God, right? Giving a word from God to God's people. He says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. Is that encouraging? No, right? On the surface, that's not encouraging, right? But this was the life of God's people in the midst of a disastrous world. But God is saying, because he's a God of justice, I will restore Because I'm a God of fairness and justice, I'm not going to leave injustice the way it is. I'm going to do something about it. And that's what we take hope in, right? That God will move, that God will defend, that God will be God and stand up for those who are being persecuted. A God that withholds justice, and this is so important, a God that withholds justice is a God who withholds love. And we don't want a God who withholds love. He's the God who moves to defend his people and also not only to judge the outer nations, but to judge his people themselves, right? Judging his set-apart people who take advantage of the poor, who mutilate their own, who step on the very people that God had commanded them to take care of and to be a light to. Those within the camp They made a fatal error, right? They knew what God said. They knew his commands, but they didn't do what God told them. They had all the right knowledge, but no practice, right? And this is the core of the entire prophets, right? If we were to take the time, which I'm thankful we are as a church, reading through the whole Bible, but if we were to just read through the prophets, right? So the big guys, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and then the minor prophets, this is the core message, right? Is that God is a God who stands up for his people. God is a God who doesn't allow his people to be taken advantage of because he's a God of love. He's a God of justness. He's a God of fairness. But this word of judgment in the midst of awful persecution is not the last word for those who follow God, for those who walk after Jesus We have a word of hope. So hope comes in in the midst of chaos and says this, starting in verse 17. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For beholds, right? We're gonna stop there. So this is God speaking. And when God speaks, we should probably listen, right? That's obvious. But when God says, for behold, right? It's like John the Baptist coming onto the scene 
And actually, my, my daughter calls him John the Basket. Um, and, and what's really funny is whenever people are like, your daughter knows who John the Baptist is? I'm like, no, you got to know the full story. She likes two stories, right? She likes Genesis 3, the serpent, because she likes snakes. And she likes John the Basket because he's eating locusts because she likes bugs. So before you go and think like, oh man, this guy's daughter knows who John the Baptist is? No, I promise every night, man, those, I'm like the story gets better than Genesis 3, right? Like something's going to happen to the serpent, right? And she's like, no, I, wanna, I, want, the, I want the snake. Um, but it's like John the Basket coming onto the scene and saying, behold, right? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? So when Isaiah is saying, when God is saying, behold, we should listen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting for newness, right? We're waiting for God to do something new. He's a creator God, and and when he created in Genesis 1 and 2, what was the one thing that kept being repeated after the things he created? It was what? It was good, right? When God creates, it's a good, good thing. And this is what we await. We await God to create anew, right? And he's already created something in us, and we'll get to that in a moment. But God is a God of creating. Okay, in the former things, keeping on in verse 17, in the former things shall, be remember, shall not be remembered or come to mind. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Remember, God's people are being oppressed, right? They're facing exile. They're facing death. They're facing disease. They're facing the sins of others coming into their camp. They're facing their own sins that they walk through. So this word, the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind What good news for a people? What good news for us? There's no one that knows you like you know you, right? And you are hyper aware. Man, if you're anything like me, you're hyper aware of how you fall short. You're hyper aware of how you struggle, of how you sin. And what's the good news? Those things, they will be former God is doing something and remaking his world so that those things that are latched onto you will be former. I, uh, our students, uh, our adult leaders and I and our students went to, uh, we went on a fall retreat um, a couple weeks ago and we went to uh, Black Mountain and we had a weekend of just being together and studying together and having fun together and getting beat in football by me and all the other adult leaders. Um, So it was just a wonderful time of getting together and having a good time uh, with students. Um, But during our time of of study, I had them go off and do devotionals on their own. So they had 30 minutes. And my one rule, my one rule is what, students? Don't talk. Right, that's my one rule. I'm a pretty laid back guy, but the one rule is don't talk. Spend this time on your own, develop this, uh, this habit, right? So that when we leave, we're taking with us uh, a lot of good habits and things that are instilling in us as we retreat, right? We retreat, but we retreat to come 
back. And during our time of discussion of those devotions, one of the students out of nowhere was just like, not out of nowhere, because we were talking about the things that we're kind of wrestling with. And, uh, and this student was like, man, I, ju- I just fear death. Like I- I'm 11, 12, 13 years old, and I- I'm afraid to die. And hearing that from a, from a child, it's like, oh man. But I had the opportunity to take her aside and say, look, I'm right there with you, sister. There's fears and there's sins that cripple us. As a father of two, my biggest fear is what's gonna happen to my family if something happens to me? What's gonna happen to my wife if something happens to me? What's gonna happen to my family? What's gonna happen to my students? And God is saying that these fears are quenched when Christ comes to remake all things. He's saying that those who trust in me the sin that's so deeply embedded into this story, the sin that beckons you to find all that you need in it. The prophet is saying, no, no, no. That sin's gonna be such a distant memory that it's no memory at all. I'm creating. And God is creating something even better than Eden because in this new world, the possibility of sin won't exist. This is the good news from Isaiah 65. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. The anticipation of this global newness, this complete restoration turns the people of God into a gift to the world. We are a gift to the world. So man, why don't we act like it, right? We'll talk more about that in in just a bit. Um, But I want to take a moment uh, before we kind of move on and, and just say like, man, I know so many of you walked into this place and it's just like so much going on stuff with family, stuff with marriage, stuff with children, stuff with work, so much happening, weighed down not only by that, but now the pace of life quickens in this season. Doesn't it feel that way? Getting gifts, making sure our children, making sure our loved ones have the best experience possible. I want us to see in verse 18 that this new world will be a glad world a world where we rejoice. Verse 19 and 20. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it. No more shall there be in it. An infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now, I know that there are some of you in this room who have experienced the pain of having an infant die, having a miscarriage. And I just wanna say to you, that in this new world, God is remaking all things. 
There's sorrow here. There's questions, right? What's gonna happen? What I want us to do is not necessarily give answers, but say our God is a good, loving, and just God, and he will do what is right. Always does what is right. In the midst of this, God is who we fall back on, the nature and character of who he is. A hundred years will, will appear as a drop in the bucket. Many of us can't even imagine a hundred years because the past two years have been so long, right? Like a hundred years ago, that was pre-Great Depression. And God is saying, a hundred years? What is, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what eternity will be like. I am remaking all things. Verse 21 continues, the prophet continues and says, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. You've got to remember in this context, the nation of Israel, it, it wouldn't be surprising if one day they build a house and the next day another nation comes in and takes over, right? So this promise of they shall not build and another inhabit, that, that what they build will be theirs, that what they plant will be theirs. What good news for this people and what good news for us. A world where work will no longer feel like work, right? Even in this spiritual endeavor of, of teaching and, and, and preaching, man, this week was work. <laughs> like, I'm sure all of you feel that on such a deep level. The monotony, the mundane, it is work. Even if it's work we love, it's still work nonetheless. God says there will come a day where work won't feel like work. Everything will be as it should be. Everything as it was originally designed. Now verses 23 through 24. We'll get through this, I promise. We'll get through Isaiah 65. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. You guys ever wonder, like, man, I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm pleading, is God even listening to me? Right? Does he hear what I'm saying? In the new Jerusalem, that won't even be a question. Why? Because God knows our thoughts. He knows our prayers before we even think them. No more will we wonder, is God listening? But he will be there before we even ask. And then finally, verse 25, and this might, even, this might be my favorite section. It's kind of icing on the cake here. Um, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. I like to think of that as the Republican and the Demo Democrat shall graze together, right? The vaxxer and the anti-vaxxer will graze together. You're like, Brian, no, there's no possible way. In God's economy, there is a way. <laughs> Praise be to God. For that, the lion, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together and the lion 
shall eat straw like the ox. The dust and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not destroy or hurt in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. I love that, that, that God here says, yeah, remember that, that serpent, serpent that my daughter really likes? Um, you know that serpent? Guess what his role will be? Eating the dust of the earth. Another word for destroyed. Another word for not habitating my land, right? His place, his place is solid. We know where he is headed. Dust shall be the serpent's food. So we see newness, we see rejoicing, we see renewal, and we see shalom. We see peace. Jerusalem will be where God dwells, will be where we dwell. This is what we eagerly await, brothers and sisters. And it's better than we could imagine or fathom or make up in our minds. So often we try to uh, shape this season to be that though, don't we, right? We have in our minds what, what home for the holidays looks like and so often it falls short, right? You have this expectation of what Christmas day will look like when you open gifts or, or when you go visit family or when, and it just falls short. There's disappointment, there's heartbreak. But that doesn't mean we can't experience Isaiah 65 here and now. As we learned in our first John series that we just finished up, Jeff told us that, that eternal life is not something in the future, but it's active. We wait, but we participate. John 17, three says, and this is eternal life. While we wait for the new heavens and new earth, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have given him. Eternal life is in our midst. We are waiting for it and yet can experience it. I've heard it framed that eternal life is not a linear life, but it's a type of life. It's a type of life lived. It's not a duration, but a description, if you will, right? To intimately know God. If we are anticipating, yes, yet also experiencing this coming eternal kingdom, then that shapes how we see life, does it not? We await, and yet we have a posture towards the world that can't be one of, of kicking rocks or twiddling our thumbs. If Isaiah 65 is our inheritance, and yet eternal life has come and is here now in the coming of Jesus, then that must have an effect on our posture, on who we are as we anticipate Christ. So who are we to be? I'm gonna very briefly go over four different things from Isaiah 65 of who we are to be. What's our posture to be as we await? What's our kingdom posture to be as we await what God has for us? The first is that you're, you're, you're a glad gift to the world. You are a glad gift to the world. Let's look at verse 18 
one more time in chapter 65. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be gladness. If eternal rejoicing is the final word, if that's our destination, then that gives reason to rejoice in the present, does it not? And God is on this global project to renew and restore all things. And he's using us. Christ comes, dies, raises from the dead, and sends his people out to be, as Paul says, ambassadors of Christ. Right? We are reconciled with God, by God, and now for God. Reconciled with God, by the work of Jesus, now on a new and renewed mission. You're a glad gift to the world. So let's be that. You're one who the creator God rejoices in. That's the second one. Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Brothers and sisters, God rejoices in you based on the work of Jesus Christ. That's not something he just will do. That's something he does now. Because of the finished work of Jesus, he's not waiting for you to get better to accept you. When he sees you, he sees the blamelessness of his own son. Do you believe that this morning? You are one who the creator God rejoices in. Third, your labor and toil matters. You might be working a dead-end job. No way to, to advance. You might be in school and thinking, man, I'm studying for four years to, to do something. I don't even know if I'm going to do this. I'm not even, am I going to use this? Nothing is wasted. Even though it feels like it, nothing is wasted. So we work well, we rest well, and we celebrate knowing this isn't the end. And finally, be expectant of great things and great loss. Be expectant of great things and great loss. Because we live in this already, not yet, right? Already Christ has come, but not yet he hasn't fully come to bring his kingdom. We embrace the already. We live in the already and expect God to show up, but we remember that not yet is not yet, right? We are still awaiting restoration. Be expectant of great things and great loss. So if that's our posture, then what do we do? How do we participate? Uh, and very simply and as unchurchy as it sounds, right? My students also know if you give a church answer, right? They love, they love giving the answer Jesus to everything, right? Like, yeah, Jesus. It's like, okay, well, why, right? I'm not gonna let you get away with that. I'm not gonna let you get away with that. Why does that matter? What does that mean? Um, but it sounds simple, but we live by faith, how do we participate? 
We live by faith. And I think it's more in depth than we think. We're gonna look at and finish up here by looking at Hebrews 11, just a couple different sections of Hebrews 11 to get a picture of what faith from the Old Testament saints looks like. Okay, Hebrews 11, I'm gonna bounce around. So you, you can jump there or you can just listen. So let's look at verse four. How do we participate? Participate by living by faith. What does faith look like? Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Okay, verse seven. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. Okay, verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Okay, one more. Let's look at verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. Do we see that faith isn't merely this intellectual recognition, but it does something? Faith moves. By its very nature, faith participates. So when we say we live by faith, we don't just live up here, right? We step out. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, Noah constructed something. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. It may start here, but it seeps down into our bones. It's not an, merely an intellectual recognition, but an active abiding. It's trusting so deeply that it leads you to do something. Maybe to get the point across even better, if we were to make lunch plans, right? Meet you at Holy Taco at 11 o'clock. And we made the lunch plans and all of a sudden 11 o'clock comes by. You, by faith, go there because you're trusting that I'm going to, to do what? To show up, right? You are having faith that I am going to show up. You're having faith that I will move, that I will participate. So as we anticipate what faith looks like, as we anticipate the coming of Jesus, what does faith look like for you today? Maybe it looks like going back to the prayer corner and asking someone to pray for, for just something going on in your life. I will say this, the fact that you're here says that you had faith and you had trust to step out and say, man, I wanna worship Jesus today. Maybe there's something I need to learn. Maybe there's, maybe there's a hook I need to hang my hat on. What is it that you can do today to step out in faith? In the midst of the holiday chaos, let's not lose sight of the simplicity and magnificence of all that Christmas means for us. The coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, and the restoration of all things. Let's remember what we're waiting on, who we're waiting on, who Christ is shaping us to be right now and where God is calling us to live by this active faith. Let's pray.
Father, we, we trust you. Uh, Lord, and if we don't, I pray that you would produce a trust in us, that you are who you say you are, that you'll do what you say you'll do. And give us faith to believe that you've done what, you, what, you, what we see here in the word. As we sang, you are Christ, you are God incarnate. Hail incarnate deity, we're here to praise and worship your name. Father, give us the faith. Give us the, the faith to believe that and give us the faith to do something about it. Give us the faith to trust. Give us the faith to follow. Thank you so much for the fact that you use us, the fact that you send us out as ambassadors, heralding your good news, Father. We thank you that by grace, through faith, we can believe the gospel and the gospel sets us free. Show us what freedom looks like today. Praise in Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.